Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, as we are here again to consider this subject of discipleship, Father, we just ask that you would direct, that you would guide, that our spirits would be focused on you and open to what you have for each one of us. Father, I pray that you will direct what I share, that it might be for your glory, and that we might all be built up as a church and strengthened to fulfill your will in the world. Forward through time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been talking about why we need discipleship. And I'm going to shift now to what is discipleship. There's some familiar verses in Matthew 28, 18-20. I'm going to read from the ESV. Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These have been powerful verses to me throughout my life. But in recent years, I've come to look at them a little bit more differently. These verses are not really talking about evangelism, even though that's part of it. These verses are talking about discipleship. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I want to look at what that means tonight. Discipleship is the conception of the union between Christ and His bride. When conception happens, there is new life. And when Christ is joined to His bride, there is new life. His Spirit with our spirit testifying that we are the children of God. If you're a child of God this morning, this evening. The Spirit of God ought to be testifying to your heart that you are the child of God. That you are part of His bride. And if that's at work in you, there's going to be new life born as a result of what Christ is doing in you. Discipleship involves a spiritual connection between believers. In Ephesians 4, 1-4, it says that we're to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to, be keep, we're to be endeavoring to keep a unity of spirit. There, is, there will be a unity of spirit. And we're to keep that unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Unity there is not really talking about unit, uniformity of practice. It's talking about a unity of our spirits. A unity about what we desire to be. A unity of mind. It says, let this in Philippians 2, it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And many times in the New Testament it says that we're to be of one mind. That's the kind of unity that it's talking about in Ephesians where it says that we're to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's a Spirit that's characterized by love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. See, there's going to be a spiritual bond that's going to happen as a result of that. And it's going to evidence to people around you that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do what, does what you practice matter? Absolutely. But if you don't love your brother, you're not going to show Christ to the world. <clears throat> and before you use this thing of love to load your gun, to shoot down the person who is in violation, you believe, remember that we're not talking about a kind of love that takes life. We're talking about a kind of love that gives its own life. Are you willing to lay down your life for your brother or your sister? Tonight, our salvation is not independent, it is interdependent. 
I'd like to bring this back a little bit later and talk about brotherhood because brotherhood's in our title. Discipleship is not just for church leadership. I really want you to get that point. Discipleship is not just for church leadership. Your church leadership, this is not a message for your church leadership. This is a message for you. Ephesians 4, 12 says that the work of the ministry, sorry, that the work of ministry is for the entire body. The gifts that are given to church leadership and to those who minister into the body of Christ in leadership roles are, are in place to build you up so that you can do ministry, so that you can build the body of Christ. You have a responsibility to be involved in discipleship in your church. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian. It doesn't matter if you're an old Christian. It doesn't matter. You have a responsibility to be involved in discipleship in your church. Discipleship should be primarily realized in the local body. We gather at least once a week, usually more than that, for church with who? Everybody in the conference? The universal church? No. You gather with your local body. And you gather so that you can be built up spiritually. And in that environment is where you're going to grow spiritually primarily. And so primarily, you need to think about discipleship in your local body, in your church. The local congregation is where the shoulder rubbing of church family happens. It's just like in those circles I showed you earlier. Where do you, when, when you're in that when you're in that smaller circle of family or local body, local church, where do you have, where, where do you run into conflicts? It's, it's in the inner part of that circle. You run into conflict more than you do anywhere else. And there's reasons for that. I don't have time to go into those reasons, but we need strong spiritual relationships within our local bodies to withstand the difficulties that we face as a church. If we're going to be able to get through those shoulder rubbing experiences, we're going to have to have close relationships, close spiritual relationships with each other in the local body. And I'm emphasizing that not to take away from the significance of the universal church, not to take away from the significance or the connections that we have outside of our local body, but rather to help you to understand that if you're going to reach, if you're going to scale the utmost heights as a Christian, you're going to have to do it where the rubber meets the road. And that's going to be in your local congregation. What is the purpose of discipleship? And I was just giving you those things as kind of a basic outline. I want to go into more detail. What is its purpose? That's time. Sorry, that's time. God is concerned about truth across time. God wants to see truth passed across time. And I put a note there that Truth is the knowledge of Himself. He wants us to pass on faith. He wants faith to be passed. Faith in Him passed from one generation to the next. He wants us to build each other up in what it means to know Him. That's spiritual maturity. He wants us to support those who fall, support those who fail, and walk with them and help them over the difficulties that they are facing in their life. In Deuteronomy 5, They've just been given, for the second time, they've just been given the great, uh, sorry, the Ten Commandments. 
And in verse 29, it says this. You can really hear the heart, listen to the heart of God in this. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me always and keep all my commandments that it may be well with them and with their children forever. You see how God wants to take truth across time? That it might be well with them and with their children forever. So there's your grandfather, and there's your father, and there's you. And that's basically a... We're fitting these lives into the timeline, the line of time, okay? So your grandfather was born before you, right? And your father was too, but a little later than your grandfather. And then you're born later yet. And then a child, your child, and then your grandchild. So you see how generations move across time? You will have an effect in your lifetime on, in general, these three generations. You'll touch. You'll touch your, well, actually, you'll touch these five generations probably. But at any given time, it'll only be three of them. So what's significant about that? Y'all know who David was? He was a giant killer. Oh, sorry, Mr. Verse. There's a verse in Acts 13 that's one of my, that's really been special to me. Acts 13.36, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. That's New American Standard. King James says the same thing, just harder to understand. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. That verse is an argument that when David wrote that his flesh would not see corruption, he was talking about Christ and not about himself. But what did David do? He served the purpose of God in his generation. That yellow box up there is your generation. You have been called to serve the purpose of God in your generation. I don't know about you, but both my dad and my granddad tell stories about times that were different than the times that I live in today. And I suspect that that's true for you as well. And I also suspect that I will tell different stories and that my grandchildren will tell different stories yet about the times that they live in. You will probably not sling a stone at a Philistine. You know what stone slingers are, though? They're a type of pickup, I mean, a type of dump truck. See how times have changed? But truth hasn't changed. Because, you see, the shepherd boy, the stone slinger, prescribed truth that is good for us today. With my whole heart have I sought thee. The Lord is my shepherd. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's true today. But times have changed. And the answer lies in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Deuteronomy 6, begin reading at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you swear to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. 
When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and you shall take oaths in his name. I'm going to stop there. I want you to consider verses 11, verses 10 through 12. I told you earlier that we have many things that many other people in the world long for. Houses full of good things. Relationships. Families full of good relationships. Not perfect, but in many ways better than many people in the world. And God warns us in this passage, when you are in that place, then beware, lest you forget the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you know a God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You need to know a God who brought you out of the land of Egypt in a mighty way. Verses 4 through 7 talk about a preeminent love. A preeminent love for God that flows from every part of your life, your heart, your mind, your strength. Verse 6 says that His ways will be a part of you. It will come out. It will come out in your house and where you go. When you go to bed and when you get up. That connection with God is going to come out of you if you love Him that way. Your life will be genuine and free from hypocrisy because what's in your heart and what comes out will be the same thing. The other thing he talks about is relationship. Your children. The ones who were born in your family. The ones who are your blood. Who eat at your table. How is it? between you and your church family. When you come together on Sunday morning to eat around the table of the Word of God, what is your relationship? Is it the relationship of love that a father, a good father, a godly father has for his son? Is that the kind of love that you have for the people that you go to church with? My son, Proverbs 23, 26, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. You see there's a connection between the giving of the heart and the obser- observation of the ways. And the way that truth is passed from one generation is tied to the heart. And we can't get away from that. There has to be a heart connection to transmit truth. A good heart connection. You are with those people for the purpose of developing a heart connection. God wants you to develop a heart connection with the people that you go to church with. He wants it in your family too. But I'm talking primarily about church family tonight. Verse 7, he also talks about communication. You will teach them diligently. You'll teach them diligently of truth, both with what you say and what you do. Not because you're putting it on, but because it is who you are. You see, that's why I finished up the last time with about about being. Because if it's who you are, then it will come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Brother Jeff said. And that's so true. And so it's going to come out if that's who you are. It is your life and you want it for your children. It's your life and you want it for your brothers and sisters in the church. You have found something that's so valuable that you're willing to risk everything to make it a reality for them. Maybe you think I'm being overly dramatic about that point. 
But are you willing to be vulnerable in your congregation because you love so much that you're willing to expose yourself, your own needs, your own struggles for the good of your brothers and sisters so that they can see that something you found something that's worth sacrificing for? In verse 8 and 9, it talks about a monument. Something that's on your hand, between your eyes, written on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It says that they will be a sign. They will be a symbol of something that is part of who you are. That will speak. And they're applied to the common things of life. So just like I was talking about mealtime in a Christian culture, is shaped because of what you believe. In the same way, the common everyday things of life will be shaped by your following of Jesus Christ. They will be affected by your following of Jesus Christ. And those things will be signs to other people of the work that God is doing in your life. What do these signs produce? They produce a platform, a beginning point. Because what's going to happen? In verse 20 it says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgment? What's the meaning of all this, Dad? Why do you do this stuff? What are you going to tell him? Well, that's what the church told me to do. I hope not. Look at the answer. Then you shall say to your son, this is about an experience with God that I had where he brought me out of the land of Egypt. If God brought you out of the land of Egypt and the things you're doing are because of that love that you have for him as a result of that, then when your son comes and asks you about the things that you're doing, you're not going to say, because I have to. You're going to say, because something powerful has gotten a hold of my life and it's worth it, son. No matter what. Is that how you feel about the people in your church family? That you're willing to demonstrate unashamedly the life of Jesus Christ working in you for His glory and for their good. This exact same model can easily be found in the Great Commission. Jesus speaks to His disciples. There are people who who have preeminent love for Him. Going and making disciples talks about relationship. Going and being with them and teaching them, showing them Christ. Communicating, teaching them and observing all things that I've commanded you are the monuments that will come out of that discipleship. Discipleship is the means to the end of passing truth across time. It's also the end to you fulfilling your purpose as a created being in the image of God. You were created in the image of God to show other people what He looks like. And that's your purpose. And that is an amazing purpose. The more you learn to know who God is, the more amazing it is that He will take this lump of clay and He is willing to put His reputation on the line and say, you're my son and I love you and you can carry my name to your neighbor. That is amazing because I know me. And if I was God, I'm not sure I'd trust me. But God knows His Son and He knows the power of His Spirit. And when I made that complete sacrifice on my knees and I told God that He could have whatever He wanted, I just wanted to be His Son. Something happened that day that's worth it all. So what does it look like? It is enough that the disciple be as his master and the servant as his Lord. 
It's enough for me to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He made disciples. He got a few people around him. A few people that were close. And he walked with them every day. And he dealt with their inconsistencies. And he dealt with their imperfections. And he dealt with the things that they said wrong. And he praised them for the things that they said right. And he encouraged them. And he told them that you are going to build my church. You're going to be the ones that are going to take me to the world. He gave them a purpose that was so powerful that they were willing to give their lives for it through knowing Him. So what does that mean? 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. There's three generations there. There's Christ, there's Paul, and there's the people who are following Him. Okay? So look up there at grandfather, father, and you. That's three generations. Some of the people that Paul taught never met Jesus Christ personally. But they learned to know Christ because of Paul. And they Paul preached Christ, and they observed Paul, and they said, okay, Christ looks like this, and Paul looks like this, and so if I follow Paul, I'm going to be getting closer to Christ. 2 Timothy 2.2 has four generations. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So thou, as Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me, Paul, commit thou to faithful men, people that Timothy would teach, and they would be able to teach others also. So we have four generations of people who are discipled into the image of Jesus as a result of people living faithfully and and living out discipleship. I really like this verse, 2 Timothy 3.10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And Timothy said, I mean, Paul said to Timothy, you have fully known me. You have known my doctrine. You've known my manner of life. You have known my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, and my patience. How many people do you know that well? How many people in your church do you know that well? Doctrine and manner of life are things that are more external. But you notice the last four or five were spiritual? Purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Those are expressions of the Spirit of God, fruit of the Spirit that were coming out of Paul. And Paul says that you have spent so much time with me, Timothy, and we have been so close that you know all of this about me. And I want to tell you tonight that that spiritual connection that must be developed is a tremendous key to passing on faith. And I don't tell you that as somebody who's got it all figured out. I tell you that as someone who sees the Word of God and has experienced some of this in my life and see how much more potential there is. So I put this line in first because that pretty much represents me. I have, somebody will probably come up to me later or whatever and say, or sometime and say, well, there was four generations represented here tonight. Well, it's very likely that it is four generations here tonight. But this is pretty much where I am. I have a father who's alive and well. I have one great, I have one grandparent still alive. But I have my father still alive. I'm about middle-aged and I have children. But I don't have any grandchildren yet. 
So that's pretty much where I am. Right now, that's where I am. So I only have half of my time left if the Lord tarries and something unusual doesn't happen. If I leave, live three score and ten, I'm past the center line. So what am I doing today with those connections with my father and me and my child? What am I doing today? I'm kind of at the middle age of church life too. What am I doing with those who are young in the faith, those who are my age, and those who are older than me in my church? What should I be doing? Maybe you're here. Maybe you're a young person. What are you doing with the relationship connections that you have? You're in a very valuable position because you can get a lot of good information for the future in this situation. How are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? Those are questions you really need to think about and consider and ask yourself. But I want to remind you that if you really want to grow spiritually, you're going to have to knuckle down and learn to know the people in your congregation and find those people in your life. I think it's 75% of the people who experience discipleship seek it out. Remember what I said about it being voluntary? Your discipleship of Jesus Christ is voluntary, right? Well, your discipleship of other people also must be voluntary. It has to be something that you pursue. Maybe you're here. Maybe say it's too late. No, it's not. You're also in a valuable position because you have a lot to share. Those early days of your Christian faith can be so helpful to somebody like me. They can be so helpful to somebody who's a new Christian. But again, how are you going to do it? How are you going to share that? Do you have the avenues of heart? Have you won the hearts of those younger people? And now you have an open avenue to which you can just share that truth. God has placed you in this generation, in this time period, in this part of the process of discipleship to carry His truth across time. He is counting on you. He has placed His name and His reputation on you and has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. He says that to all of His disciples. And the Word of God becomes a visible reality when it is lived out in the world. So when Jesus is lived out in the world, people can see the Word of God You've heard the old saying that people don't read, the only Bible some people will read is you. And that's what that means. If you're not actively engaging in discipleship in your local congregation, it will not prosper like it should. Like it could. And I want to talk just a little bit about brotherhood. We said discipleship is the lifeblood of brotherhood. Membership in a church does not mean brotherhood. Just because we have a church membership and you're part of it does not mean that you have a brotherhood. Brotherhood is a spirit of kinship. And there can be types of brotherhood outside of the church. One of the reasons why people find, engage themselves with different social groups is to develop or to, to meet a need that they have for brotherhood. And so people get involved in different social groups. Maybe it's 
the bike riders gang or whatever to meet a need that they have for brotherhood, to know and to be known and still be loved. But in the body of Christ, there is a difference. And that difference is that we are unified by a spirit. And that is the spirit of Christ. And we will never know true brotherhood until we are united around the spirit of Jesus Christ. And when we are united around the spirit of Jesus Christ, we will love one another as I have loved you. And we will have what it takes to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. You see, that's talking about that truth will be passed on, that life will go on because of discipleship, because of following Christ. I want to talk, I want to expand just a little bit more on the issue of being genuine and free from hypocrisy in our preeminent love for Christ. If we are truly open before God, there should be, we should have no problem with being open before our brothers. And I'm not saying that everything you do needs to be told to everyone or everything that you do wrong needs to be told to everyone. But what I am saying is that when my reputation has been given up and I have taken on the reputation of Christ, it is more important to me to have to present to the world a right reputation of Jesus Christ than it is for me to hold my own reputation in any value, in any sense of value. In fact, Paul said, I have died. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So now it's Christ, not me. And I want to present Christ. And so there should be a desire in my heart. If I truly am committed to that idea, that concept, if I truly believe that, then it does not matter what. I want to be like Jesus. And I am open to whatever my brothers and sisters have to say into my life, not from a perspective of the fact that they will always be right, but rather that I will give it the opportunity to be right and evaluate my life and be honest about where I am and about whether something in my life needs to change. With that kind of a mindset, accountability, and let me put a phrase in here, accountability in all of life. With that kind of a mindset, accountability in all of life is valuable to me because the most important thing to me is becoming like Jesus. And so if the most important thing to me is becoming like Jesus, then I want to be accountable to the areas where I'm not like Jesus so that I can change. Relationship. Go and be with them. You are a Timothy seeking a Paul and a Paul seeking a Timothy. Do you have those relationships? Are you building those relationships in your congregation? I started out early on talking about desire. You seek what you desire. And if you desire, if you hold relationships as the most valuable thing, then you will seek relationships. You will seek your relationship with Christ, and then you will seek your relationship with brothers and sisters in the church. Your every interaction with others Saved or unsaved is an opportunity for discipleship. 
I don't know how honest I can be with you tonight, but I will tell you that one of the most discouraging things that I hear in our circles is I have to teach Sunday school because teaching Sunday school is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to be a disciple. Getting to go to Sunday school class is an opportunity to be a disciple. But if you're just going to Sunday school class because it's the program of the church, and so we'll get through this 45 minutes, and we hope we say something good or something good happens in it, and you know we'll take what we like and leave what we don't, you're not going to you're not going to find discipleship. Let's take it one step farther. And let's say that you're sitting in Sunday school class and a brother or sister says, says something that strikes you. Hmm, I never thought about that before. Are you just going to let it drop? Or you could go to them later and say, explain this to me. Help me to understand this. I've never thought about that this way. And all of a sudden, Discipleship beyond the programs of the church just started. And that's what it takes to have a living church where we're actually doing something that we don't have to do. I'm not saying the programs of the church are dead. I'm just saying that that is a representation of real life. I remember in Sunday school class making a comment and an older brother came up to me afterwards and he said, what about this verse? And I was like, yeah, what about that verse? Thank you. Why? Because it was more important to understand what's true than to uphold my opinion. So do you want to know what's true or do you just want to have your opinion patted on the back? If you want to know what's true, you'll be open to discipleship and you'll be seeking relationships that can help you to grow. Remember the early on illustration where I, the error was between the two people. We're all different. We all bear a different representation of the infinite God. And we have an opportunity with our brothers and sisters to see God in a new way because of their experiences and because of their lives. And if we reject that by not opening up our lives to them, we have lost something very, very valuable about what it means to have brotherhood. Establishing relationships with other believers that are avenues to spiritual interaction Maybe there's something that you're not just crazy about doing, but there's somebody else that is. And you see a need in their life. Or maybe you don't see a need in their life. Maybe you want to understand more about who they are. Go do something with them. Go do that thing that they love, they enjoy. And before you know it, you have an opportunity to have a spiritual discussion and your life will be built up and their life will be built up and something real will be happening. So I talked about a little bit about change and about the things that we're facing in our day, materially and socially. And I just want to really encourage us that God wants us to have deep relationships. Jesus didn't try in His own life to touch every person in the world. He got three men around Him and then nine more around them and they developed a deep relationship. And out of that deep relationship, Christianity has affected the world more powerfully than anything else. So how are you going to impact the world the most deeply? It's not going to be by spreading yourself socially over the whole world. It's going to be by digging deep with the people who are around you and learning to know them and learning to help them, helping them and letting them help you to Christ. 
I want to mention just a little bit the monuments. So we have these things that are part of traditional Anabaptist heritage. And we might look at some of them as good and some of them as maybe not so. But if you don't have those things, you will not have a discussion about the principle that lays behind them. So I'll give you an example for that. I was talking to a brother some time ago, and he brought up the issue of the veiling. And we had a really good discussion about the veiling. The Spirit spoke to me during that conversation and said, if we did not practice the veiling, we would not be having this discussion. So those things are a beginning point to a discussion about the principle which leads us to the answer, which is the person of Jesus Christ and walking with Him. And so use those things for that, for a beginning point. They're not an end. They're a beginning point. Seek. Seek with questions. Questions are a wonderful way to seek. I've had brothers who have asked me questions, and it has been very valuable for my Christian life. I have asked brothers questions, and it has been very valuable for my Christian life. And I've asked brothers questions that has opened the door to, to me mentoring, guiding, helping them to a fuller understanding of what it means to walk with Christ. So you have to ask questions. You have to open your mouth. If you don't, who's going to? If you believe it's important, why aren't you talking about it? I'm not accusing you. I'm just putting it out there for you to think about. What is your discussion about? Is it centered around the material aspects of life, the social aspects of life, or is it centered around the fact that you want to grow in Christ? However, well, there's two things. One of them is the changes we're facing in our generation are not the problem. Because the power of Christ is greater than the power of this world. Ever since Eve stood in the garden and looked at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the same question has stood before every generation of her descendants. Will my desire be toward God or will it be towards myself? Now let me put something else in there about change. The more change that you have in front of you, the more choices you have to make. And so the more choices you have to make, then the more careful you have to be. Because in a multitude of choices, there's the possibility that you'll make some wrong choices without even thinking about it. Where am I going with that? I'm going with that, I'm going where I am with that to say that in our day, we are experiencing an unprecedented amount of change. And so we had better walk very, very carefully. And we had better change very, very carefully. Not saying that changes aren't needed. Change is an opportunity for both good and bad. I questioned whether I should say equal amounts of good and bad or not, and I think it varies some with different things. But change does affect us. And so we need to be careful with change. But if my desire is toward God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength, He will carry me through even to the end of the age. And discipleship is the lifeblood difference whether we allow it to drain away or whether we heal up the wounds and have a living church for the next generation.